Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. Well, we have been in the midst of a sermon series called Witness. This is the third week. And two weeks ago, we had Casey start this off. He kicked it off for us. And we kind of have been on this transition from looking at living a lifestyle of worship and how we um, gather as a church in order to scatter as a church, that we come together in corporate worship or the scattered church so that we can be immersed in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and then be scattered into our mission. Wherever we are at throughout the cities, throughout the county, wherever God has planted us to live, that we then get to be a representation of the church, the kingdom of God here on earth, wherever he would send us. And that we come together, we gather so that we can be encouraged, equipped, and empowered to be sent. And then Casey started us off on this series where we're looking in more depth at what it looks like in different spheres of influence to bring the good news, the witness, the testimony of Jesus into different spheres of influence in our lives. Um, He really unpacked the scripture about being a salt, being salt and light wherever we would be and how that is a necessary thing. As Jesus unpacked what it means to be salt and light, it wasn't like, oh yeah, if you want to add a little flavor, it was like salt and light were necessary parts of life in the ancient Near East. And so as Jesus explained that, he's saying, hey, you are a necessary messenger of the best news these people will ever hear and that we get to be that here. And then last week, we talked about a specific sphere of influence. Anybody remember what it was? Perfect. Go back and watch the podcast. It was our neighbors, our neighborhood, where we live. And we talked about two ways that we can engage people where we live. One is to invite them in, and one is to enter in, to enter into their space, their life, accept invitations into spaces that we may not be able to control or we may be uncomfortable in the name of Jesus. Amen? That's what we talked about last week. And this week, we are continuing with the sphere of influence, which I don't know about you guys, but for me, this one is by far the hardest. And that is our biological family, our family, blood family, if you will, and what it looks like to be a witness in our families. Now, as we consider this, naturally, it brings up a few questions we have to ponder. First off, why is sharing Jesus with our family members that don't know him so darn hard? And if any of you know the answer, we'll hook you up with a publisher. We'll get that puppy, that book written. We'll make some money off of it because I I mean, I was looking, what kind of resources are out there? I was just curious what people say, because everyone's a professional these days, right? Everyone's an expert on something. I was like, somebody's got to have written something about this. But it, it remains to be one of the hardest areas or spheres of influence to witness in is our biological family. So why do we think that is? Why, why is that so hard? And I have a couple possible reasons for us to consider, but in reality, we could write a thesis on this. Like there's so much that goes into family dynamics and individual situations and why this is hard and every family has its stuff, right? And so we're not going into in an acute fashion, Um, but just more generally, I think that one of the reasons, at least for me, to talk about Jesus and my faith and lead people to faith in him and my family is 
my biological family is very well, well aware of my imperfections. Like, and over a long period of time, right? Like, my whole life, they've known me. <laughs> and they know every stupid decision I've made for the most part. They know when I have been acting like Jesus and when I've been acting like the antithesis of Jesus. They, they have all of that. And if, as a Christian, as somebody that's trying to help them find and follow Jesus, I enter into their life and I want to share good news that is a paradigm shift for them what is the defense mechanism of like the human heart when it's convicted or challenged? If you have kids, you know. Oh yeah, well you, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, well you. And so I enter into these family environments and I'm like, I want, I want to share this good news and this transformation that's happened, but there's something about family that expects transformation to be fully complete before they'll recognize it as transformation. Have you guys ever seen that? It's like, oh yeah, you say you're changed, but this, oh yeah, you've changed, well, that. And they try to use that as an argument that actually you're not really changing this news, just isn't for me. I don't know about you guys, I'm seeing some nodding heads. For me, that is an area that makes it somewhat difficult. Along those lines, our family has seen the least appealing parts of our lives. Isn't that true? Like just over time, they've seen the lows, They've seen the brokenness. They're the safe place for our yuck to come out when we interact with them, when we're having struggles. And uh, so I think that's another reason that it can be fearful is because the enemy takes that and he says, hey, you really think you can share about what Jesus has done in your life with them? You remember how you were acting however long ago? Do you remember that? And he points out like the imperfections and the areas that you need growth in and tries to use that to disqualify you from being the, bringing the best news ever into your biological family. And I just believe that's a straight up lie. And why I believe that is because Jesus didn't go to the Pharisees. He didn't go to the rabbis and say, hey, you've got this figured out. Come follow me. He went to a bunch of crazy broken people and said, hey, let's go fish for men together. And these guys, I'm, I wasn't there, okay? I wasn't involved in their day-to-day. -day. I've read about their lives a little bit. And they did not have everything together. Matthew or Levi, depending on which gospel you're reading, the tax collector did not have everything together. He was not in good standing with the Jewish people. Yet Jesus called him to follow him and go fish for men. So the enemy tries to tell us, get your life perfected and then go speak of the transformation that's available. But what Jesus says is follow me in a pursuit of a Christ-like life and I'll work with you along the way. I'll work on you along the way. And for some reason, whether it's actual or we just perceive it that way, that dynamic can get in the way of how we relate to, interact with, or share this good news with our family. Have you guys experienced that? It, it can be challenging. The other is, sometimes you're younger in your family, and you're reaching out to somebody who's older than you, and they have a really tough time seeing how you, young buck, are going to lead them into anything, because they've got a few decades on you, right? There's this hierarchical aspect to family, or like, I've been around longer than you, or I should be leading you, I'm the patriarch of this family, or whatever it may be, and that plays into this as well your family can often see you as someone who they can walk along and journey in life with, but not as someone who can lead them anywhere. And that's just because of familiarity, right? Like there's a familiarity that is with family in a lot of cases where like, ah, yeah, that's cool. I'm glad you got that going for you, but that's just your thing. And, and they don't see themselves following in your footsteps. A couple specific examples in my life to help illustrate this. And 
the fact that interacting with family, it can be almost kind of bipolar because you have some amazing interactions and then you have some, you're like, why did I ever have that conversation? Um, early on when I came to know Jesus, I was introduced to the gospel through a ministry called Young Life. I was in a small town. There weren't many churches, if any, that actually had young people in them. And so this parachurch ministry, similar to Youth for Christ, who we uh, work with and partner with in this building, um, had a club and they reached out to me and I was introduced to the gospel through that. I grew up Christmas and Easter Catholic, which means if you're lucky on Christmas and Easter, you went to Catholic mass. And other than that, there was no faith paradigm, no adherence to scripture, no following Jesus. There was a belief in God and you went to mass two days a year because those were really important. And that's just what family did. That's how I grew up. When I encountered the gospel, things started to change. And I had the privilege of, I ended up leading my parents to follow Jesus and when we started this church at one of our first services, I got to baptize them, which was a huge honor. And it was awesome. And it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, Christian resume, you know, you put that on there. Like, yeah, I got reached by the gospel and I was able to lead my parents into that. Like, praise God. But then there's all these other family members that you don't hear the stories of, right? I have a cousin that I've been in a relationship with as a little brother for decades, and he lived in town here with me, and I would do everything I could to share the good news with him, to talk to him about Jesus, to invite him into relationship with Jesus. And he was always doing just fine. He was always doing just fine. And as much as it breaks my heart, there's a tension there. I love him. We're family, and I want him to experience the redemption that I've experienced through Jesus, but he's not there. And so I have to continue to walk in that tension. I have a grandparent who's on last legs, right? He's like, about to go on to whatever is next for him. And I say that because I don't think he's put his faith in Jesus yet. And my grandpa growing up, I was the oldest in my generation. So like he was my buddy, like we were friends. We went to fairs together. We went to cattle auctions together because he's a farmer. Like I was just his little buddy all the time along his side. And whereas some of my younger cousins experienced kind of, you know, the older, maybe grouchier grandpa, I got like the best years of grandpa. And so I have really felt convicted that like, hey, I want to make sure that I get to be with grandpa for eternity. And I try to share this with him. And I try to share about Jesus and what's available there. And he doesn't want anything to do with it. And it breaks my heart. And so I constantly live in this tension where I see Jesus transforming some family, working on others where I can see them making progress. And then others just want nothing to do with it. And it's like, as soon as you bring it up, you're uninvited to the potluck kind of thing, right? Like just uh, don't bring that into the family right now. And it's a tension and it's hard. And I believe all of us that still have the honor uh, to, to be walking with biological family in our lives, like we deal with these tensions, especially if there's some that aren't following Jesus. And I think these are some of the reasons, some of the stories, some of the dynamics that just make family and the thought of reaching out to our biological family challenging. We'll get more into that here in a little bit, but I think it's helpful for us to look uh, for a framework on this topic of what the Bible says about our family. Because you kind of have people that pick a couple different camps as, how, as far as how they use scripture in this topic of family. Because there are varying verses in different contexts and situations that say maybe different things because they're talking to different people in different situations. And people like to say, oh yeah, that verse. And they pull it out and they use it completely out of context and see your biological family doesn't matter anymore because your family and Jesus, yay. And like, 
Okay, it says that, but let's, let's talk a little more about that, right? And then it's like, no, honor your mother and father above all else. That's the greatest commandment, right? You got that into things like you need to honor your family. You need to, and like all that other stuff is secondary and tertiary to that. And people almost get in this battle of which verses are more important. I just don't think that's how we're supposed to hold this concept of family, biblically, in tension. So it, that begs the question, who is your family? It seems very elementary, but let's break this down so we're using the same language and talking about the same thing before we get into the meat of this. So some people, as I mentioned, argue that we should see our church family as our first family. That's a, it's a broad argument. Um, Jesus certainly refocused membership into God's family like that's a big part of the New Testament, right? Like through faith in Jesus, we get to become part of a different kind of family. And anyone can join this family, not by blood, but by faith in him. And this is in John 1 and Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Um, And God's family now grows not primarily just through procreation or having children, but through the gospel. It grows through the, the spreading of the gospel, the advancing of the kingdom through sharing this good news. Matthew 18, 19 through 20, the Great Commission illustrates that. And consequently, because of this, those who don't have a spouse or don't have children have a valued place in this mission of spreading and growing the family because they have a family of faith as well. So it actually is a more inclusive like mechanism of the church, of family. Matthew 19, 1 through 12 talks about this. First Corinthians, plenty of places in the New Testament. But those who may not have a spouse or children are still a part of family and growing the family of God. Now, the Bible does say in Luke 14 that in cases of conflicting loyalties, if you will, where there's a clashing, where you feel like you got to make a choice, family, biological family or blood family or Jesus, Jesus did say this. So get mad at him, not me. He said, if anyone, I'll let the sirens go by. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Okay, that's that's interesting. That doesn't seem, if you just take that verse out of context, to value the biological family too much. But it, again, we can't just extract one verse and say, yeah, well, I don't like my family that much. They've been mean to me. And so I just want to like totally just not even talk to them or recognize them anymore. So if we're forced to choose, what this tells us is it's better to remain by ourselves without our blood family in the family of God, like reconciled with our creator in submission to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and walk that out faithfully while continuing to pray for our biological family. Like if you have to choose, it's better to stay in eternal life with the God who created you than to ditch that to stay in good terms with blood family. That's what this is talking about. Like at some point you may have to make at least a temporary decision like, God, my my eternity secured in Jesus is more important than this relationship right now. That doesn't mean we give up on it. It doesn't mean it's done. It simply means like, this is the most important relationship we can have. And we need to understand that. But it doesn't mean the other one isn't important as well. We know that Jesus and his followers clearly valued natural families or biological families. Jesus, affirming the commandments, did call people to be faithful in marriage in Matthew 19 and to honor their parents in Mark 7. 
the apostles said it was good for most people to marry and have children in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. But they still wrote to people as wives and husbands, as parents and children. And those relationships, those relational connections were constantly or consistently affirmed. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you're just an individual. Like the, the, the apostles referred to people in those natural family connections. So we know that this is something that was affirmed by Jesus and the disciples. And so all of this leads us to believe that God's desire is that churches and families would be collaborators, not competitors. God's desire, Jesus's desire is that our natural families and our spiritual families would be collaborators, not competitors. So reaching our family with the gospel and engaging our spiritual family that we inherit through our faith in Jesus can work together. That is the desired outcome. It's not an either or, it's a both and. In fact, we see in Luke chapter eight where Jesus frees someone from demonic possession and then immediately tells them to go now and tell everyone, family included, depending on your translation, what word is used, how much Jesus has done for him. Now, some of you are probably familiar with this story in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus comes into Gerasen, and there's this demoniac, and he, he casts out the demons, and they go into the pigs, and they all die, right? We've heard that story. Not in this context before, though. So let me read this for you. It says, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, being Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus told this man that his next step in discipleship was to show the people that he had previously terrorized or been an antithesis to a follower of Jesus what God had done for him. His first step in discipleship was go and tell your family and everyone that you have been other than a Jesus follower, go tell them about what I've done for you, how I've changed your life, what I have done for you. That is his first order or step of discipleship that he gives this man once he is freed. And so in that spirit, I want to do something special today. And I want to bring up somebody who has walked this out, lived this out, and continues to and just have a conversation about what it looks like to live in this tension with your family and hear his story today. So let's bring up Chris Rogers for this next part. Yeah, surprise, Chris. Okay. <laughs> and out of nowhere comes stools. Your microphone is on, my friend. All right, Chris. You ready for this? Let's go. You got the next 30 minutes. Take it away. <laughs> so first, Chris, thank you for, for helping me out with this. Uh, I'm excited for people to hear more directly and thoroughly just what your journey has been in engaging your family um, with the good news of Jesus since you have encountered him. So let's start like back at the beginning-ish. Um, as Rod would put it, what was your family dynamic like before you gave your life to Jesus? Uh, it was pretty normal, good, you know, loving family, um, a lot of merit-based stuff, get good grades, work hard, um, you know, be good. Uh, but there was never really much mention of religion or faith. Um, it was all just kind of stuff of the world, yeah. if, if you were to call it something. So, yeah. 
just stuff of the world, kind of a yep. moral management type yeah. of situation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, what was the faith dynamic like in your family uh, growing up? So, uh, you know, for Taz, let's see, probably a freshman in high school, there was really no, um, not even Christmas or Easter. Um, and then my parents started going to a church and consequently we got introduced to it. Like yeah. all of a sudden we're going to church and they were completely on board. Um, and we were just kind of wondering what happened overnight <laughs> What's to a certain on? extent. And, yeah. um, it was an older church. So, um, you know, as you were saying, kind of hard to, to relate uh, mm. as a kid. There wasn't really a, a youth ministry there, so it was come and, you know, dress up and be quiet and, and you know, sing, sing these songs about yeah. uh, Jesus and God, even though you've never really mm-hmm. been sat down and explained to what that actually means. And so it was really kind of uh, through the motions uh, for my first introduction uh, to faith um, through, through the high school years, yeah. Sounds like you were kind of left to just figure it out a as you bit. were There's like definitely... dropped in it and like figure out how to swim. Yeah, well, yeah. and you know those high school years are can be turbulent anyways, and yeah. kind of figuring out who you are as a person and that tension between your parents anyway about what you're going to do with your life. And you know there was some you know well if you don't get baptized you're not going to you know where <laughs> and it's like what you know okay <laughs> so yeah some emotions being yeah. utilized huh yeah. So when did you really make your faith your own? It was in college. Okay. Yeah, it definitely was. I had a my uh, freshman year of college. I my roommate um, was a longtime high school friend, and uh, we decided to to get an apartment together. And um, he had been going to church um, all of his life, and he invited me to come. and And there was really this strong pull to continue to go. On my own volition, it wasn't. Mm. I wasn't being dragged anymore. I was like, "There's something here. I want to know more about this. What does this mean for my life?" Um, and so I really just kind of grasped on to to learning about what um, it was, uh, what it really was, the go- what the gospel really yeah. was uh, for my life, and, and what it meant to follow Jesus in that time. So interesting. Yeah. How did that affect? your family dynamics is your faith started to become your own. Did it, did it bring things into more harmony or equilibrium or something else? Both. Both. Um, obviously my, yes. par- <laughs> yeah, my parents were like, woohoo. Like he found it for himself. You know, what we planted as a seed dragging him to church, you know, it turned into something, you know, not that they were taking all the credit, but yeah, they were definitely cheerleaders in it. Um, and very happy and supportive. Um, and then on, you know, there are other parts of my family is like, uh, is like, oh, you know, they're starting to do what his, his parents are starting to do, you know, and, um, drank you know, the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's doing that too now. Oh, you know, look out. And Watch so out. definitely there was both dynamics and like, so I guess tension right out of mm. the get go. Like, what is this, what is this going to look like at birthday parties? And <laughs> yeah. How do you bring that up? And yeah. Yeah, early on in your discipleship journey, so like when you really started to make your faith your own, what did it look like for you to share what you believed and what you were learning about what you believed with your family? And this is, you know, obviously parents, grandparents, siblings, like you got it all. Like, yeah. what, what did that look yeah, like? Yeah, I think um, it was obviously easy for my parents, you know, to 
kind of explain in my immaturity and my faith where I thought I was, and they were able to kind of nurture that. Mm -hmm. But to introduce it to other parts of the family that weren't so supportive, it was definitely kind of, I would say, clumsy. And just, (laughs) um, you know, there was always that, oh, if I say this, it could make them mad, and so I'm going to avoid that part of it. And really it was kind of just a surface level, like, yeah, I've been going to church or, you know, but, you know, nothing too deep, but okay. really just like a recognition of, yeah, I am doing some things different in my life than before. And and if there was any anything prompt to talk about, you know, we may go into it. But, okay. yeah, kind of surface level. How did that change or evolve over time as you matured in your faith or, mm-hmm. you know, as, as lordship and discipleship became bigger parts of your life? Like, what did that look like for that in your family? Yeah, as I found more confidence in my faith and understanding and just, okay, this, this is what it, this is what it is, you know, uh, through service, through, um, you know, servanthood, I got playing worship, uh, through Grace City Corvallis and Mm. really having others mentor me and, um, explain like what this walk really is. It's not just something that you hold for yourself and you just take care of it and it's your faith. It's something that needs to be shared. Um, then it, really was a a calling to you know this is this is good news this needs to be shared this is i want i want all of my family and in eternity with me and so um it was less in the beginning or in the beginning it was more just my you know faith and nurturing that and then it really evolved into well this is way bigger than me and and needs to be shared so yeah that's good um what was, say, your, what were some of the dynamics in specific relationships? Not names necessarily, right. but like, yeah. for instance, we know you have a brother. Yeah. Like, what What was it like with, with him? What was it like with other relationships? Was it all kind of the same, or was there, you know, differing dynamics that you walked in the tension of? And... Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my siblings, it was definitely, um, it was it was easy to talk to him about, but it was it was always pretty surface level stuff. Um, and you know, in, invitations to church and functions and, you know, potlucks and, um, good old potlucks, you know, my mom kind of got involved with gray city Corvallis. And so there was kind of like dynamics within my parents' faith that kind of fed into my siblings again, still kind of being younger along for the ride Mm -hmm. and still finding out this whole, you know, God thing, what does it look like for them? And so, um, just trying to really encourage them in that, um, and showing them love and direction in that and not, um, you know, if you, if you go there, that's not good. Or if you, you know, it's really like, okay, you know, what do you got going on in your life right now? And, you know, I'd love to pray for that. Or, you know, if you want to come to the Christmas service, we'd love to, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. That's good. The continued relationship and, and not having it be an either or situation. Yeah. So what specific challenges have you encountered? And this is, you know, it can be at any point in time, but I know there continues to be some today in sharing your faith with your family. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, as we all do when we share faith with, with anyone, um, that may not already know about it is there's definitely judgment, um, being mocked about it, Mm. being, 
made to feel like an outsider about it, um, for sure. Um, you know, hearing whispers of them talking about you behind your back, like, oh, they, uh, they play music at the thing. They don't just go, you know, stuff like that, just little cuts, you know, mm -hmm. and you know how family can cut you because they know you. They know you so much better than a stranger. Um, and so there's definitely just an enormous amount of tension that, and balance that you, you need to come back and get centered with God and say, yeah, you know, uh, I know they said that, but, you know, they're, they're still lost and you're yeah. still doing a work in them. And I can't judge them for that one comment because I myself was there at one time, you know, saying yeah. things like that. And so just having an enormous amount of grace, but, you know, definitely judgmentalness and, and being mocked and questioned and why are you doing that and um, yeah. um, to the point where you know uh, a comment of you know the, the church has stolen you away mm. from the family you know I'm just like whoa like okay what maybe I'm doing something wrong right. you know <laughs> that's so it's a, a yeah. big dagger yeah yeah it's kind of what I hear you explaining is there's just a blindness before you're eyes are open to the gospel yeah. and the transformation, right? And like, mm -hmm. so you can't get mad at them for not seeing, right. <laughs> but then how do you live in the tension of, I want you to freaking see, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and in that balance, um, mm -hmm. and that can be hard. And family does, boy, family knows how to cut us, don't they? They know how to, how to get down in there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's the challenges, but obviously there've been some victories too. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about some of the victories you've experienced in sharing your faith with your family? Yeah, well, one of, one of my biggest ones is, um, you know, Griffin, my brother, and his sister-in-law, Talisha, and just kind of walking uh, through life with them when they were first getting going and then um, introducing them to church and just really being there for them and explaining just from the get-go what it looks like to live this life and to nurture what God had already started in them. And, um, you know, they, uh, Talisha, when I first talked to her about it, she's like, you know what? I always felt like God was there for me when I was younger, but I didn't really know mm. what it was. And, um, so it was just a, an affirmation of, yes, he was there for you. Yeah. He's still there for you. He's going to be there for you. Um, why don't you come check out what a life following him looks like? instead of, you know, him just being there and you you asking for him in those dark times, but having him be there in all the times and the great times and, and, and see where he directs your family. And, and Griffin will give the credit to Talisha for taking him actually to church. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely just that continued grace and love and non-judgmentalness about, you know, whatever was going on in his life at that time. Um, you know, we... Uh, our parents got divorced when he was still in high school, and there was some turbulence through that and figuring out, you know, you guys brought us to church, and I thought marriage was forever, and then you guys, you know, so mm. his his idea of yeah. uh, a family unit had gotten shattered, and the idea of faith, I was like, well, you guys aren't, you know, necessarily walking it out. Um I mean, that was turbulent for me, even yeah. being in the church, but for him just trying to find his own faith, I could see yeah. a lot of like soul searching, like what, what can I grab onto? Yeah. What, where's my foundation? And so just kind of being a rock for him, like, you know, no matter what happens, I'm here. Like, yeah. And so that's a lot of it. Oh, that's good. 
Yeah. I mean, I can remember vividly when you guys transitioned to coming to Eugene instead of Corvallis. Yeah. And like the, from the first small group you guys came to, we were praying for Griffin and Talisha. Yeah. Griffin and Talisha. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then it wasn't a year later that you guys were baptizing them, you yeah. know, and now you're on yeah. staff together. And it's like, mm-hmm. there's obviously plenty of challenges and a lot of work to still do, but sure. like that's that tension. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. been one of the most encouraging stories to see unfold for me pastoring this church is just how you guys have walked that out faithfully and mm-hmm. what that's looked like in your family. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what would you say is your ongoing perspective or your heart or attitude um, in sharing faith with family now as time goes on? Like you've experienced highs yeah. and lows yeah. and um, now you got allies, sure. <laughs> right? Sure. But exactly. you've recruited some teammates, but mm-hmm. what is... Uh, what is that ongoing kind of attitude or perspective that you've embraced moving forward? Yeah, it's really um, this this whole heart posture of I'm not giving up on them. I love them, um, and I've explained you know I've explained the gospel to them, and I'm here if they want to take that further, and I'm going to con- continue to love them unconditionally, mm-hmm. um, and I'm still going to you know invite them to church and. Uh, but I'm not going to beat them over the head with it. Um, it's just going to be a continued, uh, you know, I'm, I'm here if you want to talk about it or, um, you know, and just really being obedient to God. If he puts situations in front of me, um, to speak about it or, um, just really having an expectant heart that, uh, there's, there's always a chance, you know, with Jesus. Um, it may be, tomorrow or right on their deathbed or, and so there's just, you just cannot give up the faith that God can work in all situations because I've seen it in all different kinds of people that I would have never thought would have ever come to know him. And so you just can't put them in a box. Um, and just through that, uh, just an, an encouragement that, um, you know, as, as maybe you're only, you're the only one that knows Jesus or is saved in your family, that you have this, this weight of, well, it's my responsibility since I'm in the family to save my family. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's really a lie. Um, our, our job is to share the good news, the gospel, and to love them. And God, God has the plan um, on how he's going to bring them into reconciliation. And we're to be there to, yeah. to, to help that. But I know early on, I took a lot of that weight onto myself, um, being the oldest sibling. And yeah. it's like, all right, I got to make sure my siblings come to Jesus and make sure my parents are holding it together and, th- and their faith and just trying to be this, this rock when it was like, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to take God's place in this. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, so really not putting God in a box as to how he, he can work, um, in us, uh, and through us but not getting in the way of his plan mm. and his timing because it almost always inevitably looks different, right, than what we yeah. expect. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so just stick with it, you That's know, good. hang in there, love him. Yeah. yeah. Any other closing words from you? No, that, that was about that it. That pretty much sums it up. Yeah. If anybody wants to try to come on the worship team, uh, talk to me after. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Let's give Chris a round of applause. It's good stuff, Chris. 
that's crooked. So, worship team, you can come back up. I'll be closing shortly. Um, I think it's just important that we realize in this that, like Chris said at the end, the Holy Spirit brings conviction to the heart. The Holy Spirit works on people. Even when you don't see it, even when it doesn't look like it, the Spirit of God is moving, make no mistake, in people's lives, on this earth. <clears throat> and we need to make sure we recognize our place in all of this. Our place is not to force something to happen or have the answer to every question someone may have about every aspect of the Bible in our faith. Our responsibility, as the scriptures tell us, is to be ready at all times to give witness, to give a testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so often, especially with our family, we, we feel like we can't engage in a meaningful conversation about our faith because we don't have all the answers. And I think that's just a bold-faced lie because the Bible doesn't like command us to all be amazing apologists that can just answer every biblical question that may be thrown at you. The Bible commands us to have compassion and love and share our testimony. And it is the kindness of the Lord that leads others to repentance, right? It's a, a, an atmosphere of kindness that sets the stage for people to get right with Jesus, to turn from their selfish ways and turn to a kingdom that is better than anything they would subscribe to here on earth. And so in most cases, the church isn't meant to replace your family. It won't replace your family. Like that's not the goal of the church. Instead, we need to let the gospel reorient our family relationships. We need to be intentional and active in praying for anybody that doesn't know the Lord, but especially in our families where it can be so hard. We need to be faithful to tell them, to share with them what we believe and why, to share with them what Jesus has done with us, and then continue to pray and intercede and trust in God to change hearts. We're not in the business of changing hearts. We're in the business of sharing what God's done to ours. And when you realize that it's not your responsibility to go in and do heart surgery on them, that the Lord does that, and we just change what he's done with ours, gosh, it's freeing. It takes a lot of pressure off. And it makes it way less anxious to be around family, if I'm honest. As we take on these new priorities in our family of, man, I, I desperately want you to be with me forever. Well, except for that one uncle, Pastor Chris. I, hey, even that one uncle. Like, because as hard as that person may be to be around right now, the only thing that's going to change them is a new life in Jesus, not just changing their philosophy or methodology on life and relationships. Like, Jesus can redeem the most broken and awkward relationships you have in your family. And he can bring them into a saving grace and eternity with their creator. And that is our goal with these relationships. And the great news about the gospel is that while you faithfully and consistently walk out a Jesus-centered life, while you walk out reaching out to your family and sharing good news with them, while you're in the process of it, you also have a family presently, a spiritual family. You are never without family when you give your life to Jesus. And that is amazing news. That's amazing news for people who may have outlived the rest of their family, for people who may have had tragedy where they feel alone, but they have family still in Jesus. There's a 
number of situations and circumstances that could leave people without biological family. But the church is good news because the familyless gets to find family in Christ Jesus. And so while we are reaching out and trusting God to do work in our biological families, we simultaneously get to be a part of a spiritual one. And it's amazing news. So I think the biggest application step for us when it comes to reaching our families is that we faithfully and consistently walk out what we believe. We practice what we preach with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and everything we have inside of us. We just try to chase after Jesus when we're around our families, when we're not around them, when we're in conversation with them or whether they're just seeing our posts on social media or wherever it is. Over time, the faithfulness and consistency in living the values and living the life you say you live will preach almost more than anything you may tell them. Your family's watching. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to his work in your life. Be faithful to share why you live the way you do and trust him in the process. Amen. I believe God's going to do miracles in our families. I believe he's going to do miracles in our city. And the cool thing is when you reach families, when siblings and parents and people get reached within a family, it changes a legacy. It doesn't just change an individual person or relationship. It goes on in perpetuity as gospel, as the gospel moves in people's biological families. So let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the opportunity to bring your good news into all our spheres of influence. And specifically today, God, we pray for our biological families. We pray for people that may seem resistant to your good news, resistant to what we may want to share. And we pray your Holy Spirit would touch them in a mighty way, that you would just go before us in conversations that you've uh, aligned or anointed for us, God. Would you give us a grace? Would you give us an abounding kindness as we enter into those conversations? that would lead people into repentance. So Father, we thank you that we are not familyless. We thank you that our family is diverse and that it is by bloodline and it is by spiritual family in all of these areas. God, we pray that you would help us to see those as collaborators rather than competitors. Would you help us know and see how those can work together in our lives and that we can share that good news as we share what you've done in our hearts, in our lives, and all around us. So we thank you for this time today. We pray that you would have your way in our families. In Jesus' name, amen.